back to the Community Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Angela Liu, a first-year psychiatry resident, and I'm here with Dr. Sandy Steingard. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. So to start off, why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay, well, uh, my official title right now is that I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine. Uh, my clinical work was, and still is to some extent, at Howard Center, which is a community mental health center in Burlington, Vermont, that serves Chittenden County, Vermont. I had worked there from 1995 and was eventually the chief medical officer. I retired in 2020, but came back to work part-time doing in-the-trenches community mental health work, which is always been important to me. I mean, my career in psychiatry back away is because I'm old. And I actually started out wanting to be a psychoanalyst. I mean, that's what in medical school caught my interest. And my career trajectory has been one, I'd say, of sort of sequential disillusionment with the field and, and ultimately led me to blog at Man America, which is a field that uh, a, a web zine that hosts a lot of different kinds of articles and blogs, but generally towards a critical perspective. So I left psychoanalysis for a lot of reasons and ended up sort of thinking about what was it in my early career that really drew me in. And it was working with people with psychosis and for reasons I can't really explain, but it, it has been and still is kind of an enduring curiosity and pull and, and work that has been important to me. So going in that direction, one gets drawn into the public sector because that's where a lot of people with psychotic experiences are treated. So early on, I worked on inpatient units. I happened to move to Vermont for a lot of reasons, and I shifted into community mental health because that's where people were getting services. So I did that, but as I said, I had these periods of disillusionment. So I came into community work when uh, in the mid-90s, and it was a time when there was a lot of enthusiasm for psychiatry and what many would call the sort of biomedical model. There were a lot of new drugs being introduced. It was the so-called decade of the brain and a lot of excitement about neuroscience. And I shared that enthusiasm for a while, but I became very worried and concerned about the commercial influences on the field. And I saw that people that I looked up to, admired, mentors, were seeming to have blurred the lines between their role as academics and their roles as sort of front people for pharma. I thought that a lot of what was in academic journals was distorted when I would read the papers. I didn't really think they were as positive as you would hear. And I got very interested in that. A lot of people wrote important books about that and that I read and was influenced by and was just demoralized in a lot of ways. And somehow in that reading, because I was reading books by both academics that were addressing this and journalists. I came to this book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, by the journalist Robert Whitaker, which is a controversial book, but I thought that it had a lot in it that I could not ignore, particularly about the treatment of psychosis, the effects of long-term exposure to antipsychotic drugs that went beyond things like tardive dyskinesia, weight gain, which were recognized. And I really delved into it on my own. And through that process, it was complicated. Robert Whitaker invited me to blog on Man America. And so it was this great experience for me because I was able to put into writing a lot of what was turning around inside of me. And then through that, I met a lot of people 
people thinking critically around the world, particularly people with lived experience who I hadn't, there's a lot of scholars, growing group of people who are scholars who sort of write from this perspective of their own lived experience. And a lot of them have really influenced me. So through all of that, um, I ended up being offered to write uh, a book. Well, I edited the book. It's called Critical Psychiatry, Controversies and Clinical Implications. It was published by Springer in 2019. So I was the editor, but I also contributed or wrote or co-wrote a number of the chapters in the book. And that was an opportunity to work with people I respected and influenced me and also to kind of articulate a lot of what I had been thinking about and where I had come to in terms of thinking about the field and what is the role of a psychiatrist who has taken on some critical perspectives. Through this work, and I really, I was looking for colleagues and looking for people that I could talk to about things that were so troubling to me. And I found the American Association for Community Psychiatry. And I hadn't been a member, but I, I forget how I heard of them, but I decided to join. And then I must have joined about like 2014. And then in the winter, I remember it was December 2016, in the midst of despair about women, whether women will ever be able to become <laughs> political leaders. I'm just, I got an email about running for the board of the AACP and I decided, you know, darn it, I'm going <laughs> to run for something. <laughs> and I did kind of on a lark, but I got elected. So I joined the board and got to meet this really wonderful group of people who had contributed a lot and it influenced me in ways I wasn't even really fully aware of. And so I got to meet people on the board. And then that led to my, the invitation for me to become the editor-in-chief of the journal. Tell me more about the Community Mental Health Journal. The journal goes back to 1965, but initially it wasn't associated with the American Association of Community Psychiatry. In 2008, Jacqueline Feldman became the editor-in-chief and she served in that role until I took over in 2020. And she has been on the board of AACP. And it was during that time that the the journal came together with AACP. And I tried to get more information about that, but I wasn't able to. But I do believe this happened during Jackie's time. And she did this for you know 12 years, which is a really long time to be a journal. She was a very important and effective editor. She did a lot on um, global, you know, increasing the global reach of the journal. That was one of her big initiatives. But she was ready to retire. And Michael Flom, who at the time was the president of the board of ASAP, had been someone I've known for a long time, but also was important to me in this recent journey and finding people that I could talk to about my critical work. He, he was just a, he's a wonderful man and had, had been incredibly supportive. Another person who was very important to me is Lisa Dixon, who is the, among many other things, is the editor of um, Psychiatric Services. I had also gotten to know her through meetings and some of the work I was doing. And it, I believe it was the two of them who approached me about this. I don't think I was a typical choice. And it's a hard job. And I honestly, I think they were having some troubles uh, finding people because it can take up a lot of time. And it's hard if you're a younger person pursuing an academic career, it may be hard to fit this in. And so they had, they knew that I was retiring for my job as chief medical officer and thought that this could be a good position for someone at that stage of a career. I don't think I was the typical person because I don't have a strong background in research 
or academic psychiatry. I hadn't, I sort of glossed over part that part of my career. I was early on at the University of Pittsburgh as a junior faculty member. It's where I really got interested in psychosis. And I did learn, it was almost like a fellowship for me because my residency had been so psychoanalytically oriented. So I had some experience, but most of my work was clinical, administrative, and then I was volunteer faculty at the university doing some teaching. But they knew about my writing and they thought it could fit in for me and it seemed interesting and the timing did seem good for me because I was going to have more flexibility in my schedule. So that's how I became the editor-in-chief, which started January 2020 is, is when I officially became editor-in-chief of the journal. Can you share a bit more about the aim and the scope of the Community Mental Health Journal? The thing that one gets to do as editor-in-chief is to, to, to write the aims and scope. So obviously it's done with, maybe not obviously, with the input of others. And I'm certainly cognizant of this being the journal of AACP and wanting it to reflect that. But what I've learned is one does have a fair amount of latitude in this. And when I took the job, I was pretty clear that I was only interested in doing this if I could bring some of the perspective that I have from a critical point of view. So the scope was rewritten. And a lot of things happened in 2020, as you know, that also ended up influencing this. So I took over right before well, COVID was in the world, but it was a little bit before we knew about that. And that's had, that was a pretty unexpected sort of twist on this whole editor role. Obviously, COVID had much bigger implications outside of my, my little sphere, but it was a big thing. And then, you know, that June was when George Floyd was killed. And that led to a lot of discussion and reckoning about social justice that seemed very important to bring to the forefront of the work on the journal. So prior to that, I had already been interested in prioritizing social justice and the voices of marginalized groups. I was more thinking early on, to be honest, about advancing the work of those with lived experience. I talked about meeting and knowing scholars in this field and also wanting people who might not be official scholars to be able to have a voice and to equalize things. And I think that very much fits in with larger social justice issues about prioritizing, raising the voice of those who have been, who have not been heard enough in both the clinical work we do and the academic work we do. I think they're, they're all very much aligned. And that if you go and read the aims and scopes of the, of the journal, I hope that you would find all of that reflected in it. So that's one big thing that you get to do as editor-in-chief. Now, how you manifest that is a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that you get to actually write the aims and the scopes. And I really love how one, how one of the main scopes is trying to lift those voices of those who are unheard and those with lived experiences. A big part of what I do is to decide which tools are accepted. I mean, that's actually the largest piece of the work. So because the journal can only, you need content. You know, you can have all the great aims and scope in the world, but if you don't have the content to support that, you're not going to go anywhere. So I restructured it in that I am the gatekeeper for the journals. So I, I, we get, and one thing that happened with COVID is that the numbers of articles we get a year, each year has doubled since the year before I took over. 
So it's been a huge challenge for me to deal with that. And meanwhile, reviewers haven't doubled. If anything, reviewers are busier, overtaxed. So a big, big part of what I do is decide which papers go out for review. So I, you know, I'm getting over a thousand submissions a year. I'm only sending a small amount of those out for review. It's the only way I could function. So there's a big influence of like what goes out for review. And I try in that way to pick out the articles that I think most closely align with the aims and scope of this journal as I've described them. How is this journal different from other psychiatry journals? So, I, I mean, for instance, it's not like I'm not taking on understanding the neurobiology of psychiatric disorders. You know, I think those are going into journals like JAMA Psychiatry and the American Journal of Psychiatry. I think the, the journal that we're most similar to is Psychiatric Services. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that journal and our journal. And as I said, Lisa Dixon has been a uh, mentor of mine. And I'm trying to carve out some of the practical stuff. And I'm thinking about my audience of AACP. I mean, it's broader than that, but what kinds of articles that fall within the same in scope are going to be useful to a practicing clinical psychiatrist. So it's really quite varied, but that's kind of where we're threading a needle. Although obviously there's overlaps, you know, there's a journal psychiatric rehabilitation, which has some overlap with what we're trying to do. But, you know, I can't say for sure because the extent to which we're different, but I know, I know what I'm trying to do and I know what my focus is on papers that were coming in. And so I think it's, papers emphasizing the practical aspects of working in community psychiatry and as much overlap as we possible with promoting aims of social justice and voices of marginalized groups that I talked about earlier. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what is your overall vision for the journal and are there any initiatives we should be on the lookout for? Well, I think, you know, vision in some ways I've tried to address, you know, and uh, it's an ongoing process. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm on the uh, downside of my tenure. It's a five-year tenure, and I'm now, I really only have about a year and a half of journals left. But I can talk about some initiatives that I feel really proud of. Uh, one thing is that I inaugurated a type of article called Fresh Focus. So before there was, most of the articles would be regular articles or brief report that were distinguished by page number and tables and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to be able to let people who might not be able to, who might not be doing research, let's say, because those articles are all somewhat, you know, more or less research oriented. Commentary, people wanting to talk about innovative practice. I wanted to broaden up, have a way to publish them. And so that's the fresh focus, which can be quite broad. And I've been very, that's, that's been, I guess, the most fun for me to see what comes in. And I can talk about some of the articles that we're having. So that's an ongoing thing. We do have several special issues. One, which we're almost done and is going to come out soon, is, is called The Impact of COVID-19 on the Lives of People with Mental Illness. And that's the guest editors are Amir Tal and Mark Salzer, who do a lot of work in community participation. So how do people who have experienced severe mental illness get to the community in a meaningful way? And 
So they they wanted papers that COVID-19 and the impact on that kind of work. So we have that coming out. Another thing that we've done is an ongoing series, and it's called Activist and Community Perspectives on Mental Health and Psychosocial Disability from the Global South. And this is one that I, I've had support from my lead editor, Nev Jones, with some of her colleagues. Anna Florence is one of them. I'm going to be missing some names here. But our very first paper was by someone named Kabali Benning Kitafuna. And in that article, we have a, an introductory editorial and then two papers by, by Benning who talk about his own personal experience in Uganda with mental illness and, and what he experienced on, in, on his own, and then also talk about activism. And the idea is that a lot of the activism that we hear from comes from the global north, and, and a lot of the voices are people who themselves, although they've suffered, have a fair amount of privilege. So we're really trying to raise up voices that aren't heard, and that you can hear echoing in the aims and scope of the journal. So we have one paper there, and, and we're doing a lot of things. Like someone doesn't have computer access, you can't submit to a journal. So we're working with people to try to help assist them in ways that we might not ordinarily do. So we're trying to be super flexible. And then we are working on another special issue called Recovery at 30, Emancipation, Co-option, or the End of an Era. So I think that's going to be very interesting. Hopefully we'll get some papers because... Recovery in a lot of ways defines sort of the progressive movement in community mental health going back to the late 80s when there were people saying, hey, you know, schizophrenia is not a disorder that always leads to chronic impairment, as was defined in the DSM-3 at the time. And people do recover, but there's some, you know, as with anything, it ages, it evolves, and there are some thinking that can be applied to that area without without disrespecting the hard work of the people that really kind of got this going. And so we're going to try to kind of examine that topic and that, in that issue, which is still, we're still in the process of seeking articles. So I think that kind of reflects some of what we're trying to do. Do you have any favorite or landmark articles from the journal? Well, I mentioned the two from uh, Ben and Kitafuna. The other thing I'm really proud of, as I said, I'm proud of the Fresh Focus articles. And the very first one we did was the lead author is Pu Cheng, who is a a, a Chinese psychiatrist who's working in the United States. And, it, and this also ties into AACP. I mean, I, I just love this story. So one, there's a listserv, and he wrote about what they were trying to do to help support the healthcare workers who were working in the very early stages of the in Wuhan in the early stages of COVID and how difficult it was for them. And this group of people, this international group of people, a lot of expats, Chinese expats working in different parts of the world, got together and set up a an online uh, support system. And I invited him to write a fresh focus and we did this. We turned it around. It was in the July 2020 article and it was our very first fresh focus journal. So I was really proud of that. And then in January 2021, another fresh focus was by Lisa Cosgrove and her colleagues called the cultural politics of mental health towards a rights rights based approach to global mental health. And that challenges some of, you know, some efforts in global mental health, some might argue are a form of modern colonialization, that we're taking Western ideas and imposing it 
on other cultures as opposed to, you know, supporting local cultures and their views of mental health. And and this really ties into this special issue on ac- activism. But so that was a, an opinion piece that addressed that. Um, the other thing that we did is I was hoping in the Fresh Focus to have, we don't have letters to the editor, but to have a kind of dialogue among writers. So one paper that came out in January of 2021, which was on the challenges of implementing ACT as sort of community treatment during COVID, which again, I think very gets into what do we do that other people aren't doing? This was pragmatic. It wasn't necessarily research. It was a reflection on practice. ACT is a core community mental health activity. And how did, how was it affected by COVID? And so we had a paper and then I got contacted by another group. Um, The original paper was from a Canadian group. And then I got contacted by a group in Minnesota and they wanted to respond. And so we had in a subsequent journal, their paper sort of expanding on the first one and then a response from the initial authors on what they're doing. So I, I was proud that we got that together. We got it out while we're still in the pandemic, but we got it out sort of in sort of the active pandemic because it had to do with supporting workers, keeping people safe and healthy and, you know, nevertheless trying to support people in the community. So those are ones that came to mind of highlights about things I'm proud of, things I'm proud of the authors for doing, grateful that they did it, all the reviewers. Those sound like awesome articles. And I think I'm understanding what you meant a little bit earlier about like the aims and the scope and really focusing on social justice on things that are practical. And I love these reflections. I love these fresh focus ideas. I think that's so cool. And not being afraid to be a little controversial and getting your voice out. So as we are sort of wrapping up and nearing the end, do you have any final words or parting thoughts for the trainees or early career professionals who are listening in? Yeah, well, one thing I would say is we're always looking for reviewers. <laughs> and I, I think you and I had talked, I'm not sure it came up in the podcast, like what makes me qualified for this? And I have to say, this has been a very, very humbling experience for me. And I, I'm not sure I am qualified, but can be a reviewer, even if one is not an accomplished researcher, because a lot of it is reading for salience, well, the clarity of the paper, the salience of the paper, does the, the do the authors make clear that you know their hypothesis and d- does the the plan they lay out seem to answer the questions that they're asking do their conclusions draw from the data they've presented i mean i think that most medical students have some capacity to read that even if what's really challenging is that i'm not an expert on all the statistical methods and the papers that are used and that can be tricky, but nevertheless, there is a role for non-experts to play, especially since we're publishing an article, a journal that's kind of broad and wanting to be read and used by non-experts. So I'm always looking for reviewers. It's a it's a big job. But in a general way, what I say to um, younger people is, well, it's a long career and I think it's good to think critically. It's hard to think critically when you're in a residency program because you're also kind of maybe oppressed is too strong a word, but you you need to sort of toe the line of whatever your program and it is. But I would encourage all of you to keep those critical thoughts alive in your heart and your mind. Because our field is too young still. It's too there's too many uncertainties to 
hold tight to any fixed belief as as much as you would like to. That's sort of my general old lady words to younger younger physicians. <laughs> if anyone's interested in becoming a reviewer, what's the process for them to get in touch and get involved? Email me, sandysteingard at gmail.com. S-A-N-D-Y-S-T-E-I-N-G-A-R-D. Uh, just send me an email. We can talk and I can explain the process more. Well, Dr. Steingard, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with us. This has been really educational. For our listeners, make sure to join us next month for another episode of the Muni Psychiatry Podcast.